0: Often okay. Well, this morning we are leaning into a, a new uh, series, a couple weeks together, to talk about relationships, about how we interact with people in our lives, um, how to do that well, the kind of things we want to avoid in relationships, and um, you know, how to be a better parent, a better spouse, a better friend, a better partner, a better co worker. And a lot of what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. Uh, comes from a sermon series that took place at another church out on the East Coast, Andy Stanley's Church, North Point. And uh, a lot of the ideas they talked about have informed these weeks together that we're going to have. So I'm just excited to lean into this with you. We're going to spend some time talking about romantic love, which uh, sometimes makes us a little nervous. But it is a part of many of our lives. We're connected with others in marriage or in dating or in other ways. Uh, I'm not sure what it's called today when you hang out with someone that you kind of think is cool. I don't know what they call it. I call it dating. But... That's a little outdated, but I want you to know, know, one of the things I'm a little worried about is that as we're going through this time together, we might be talking about things and you're going to think, well, that's not, that doesn't affect me. That's not kind of my story right now, especially when we're talking about romantic love. Some of you might be like, you know what, Nate, I'm pretty settled and happy where I am in life. I'm on my own and I think things are good and that's a gift from God. Um, Some of you others might be coming out of something like, you know, that was my past or you might be thinking that's maybe in the future, but I don't know. And it might feel easy for you to sort of... Disconnect and say, okay, that's about somebody else. And I just want to encourage you to do a couple things. When you have that feeling come up, like, uh, this isn't helping me right now, two things I want you to think about doing. One, uh, just look around a little bit as you're starting to feel that, as that hits you. Just look around a little bit. And, and I bet you'll find someone else in the room here that might be receiving something good as we're talking about these things. Like, someone that you think, oh, they might, that might be really helpful. For, it's not helping me right now, but that might be really helpful for them. I just want you to pause, see them. Just ask that God would move in their life, that he would use this to encourage them and strengthen them in some way. It might not be for you, and that's okay, right? It doesn't always have to be for us. It can be for someone else in this place. That's the first thing. Second, I'd love you to just listen creatively as we're talking through this. Engage your mind. Think creatively. This may not uh, directly affect you or hit you, but you could say, well, but... There's principles there. There's ideas there. There's concepts about relationships that I can apply, that I can take in. It's an illustration, perhaps, that I can use in my life. And just engage your mind creatively. Um, and, and I just want you to lean in. There might be times when you feel like, oh, I'm just going to lean out. I just want you to, to lean in. When I, when I think of friendships, my mind goes back to the Old Testament. King Solomon was a third king in Israel, and, and he wrote a lot in the middle of the Old Testament wrote a lot of different books. One of the books he wrote was Ecclesiastes, which is a really unique word, Ecclesiastes. And it's actually a, it's a Latin translation of a Greek translation of a Hebrew word. So when you jump through all those hoops, it's going to get a little convoluted. Uh, but what Ecclesiastes basically means is it's like the idea of someone who gathers people together to, to teach them or to say something to them. So it's a collection of words from the teacher for us, a wise person to speak to us. And Solomon wrote it towards the end of his life, and one of his points is he wanted to say, here's what I've learned about life. Here's what I believe about life, the, you know, what it's all about. And so at the end of his life, his conclusion is that all of life is Havel, which is a Hebrew word that means, are you ready for this? It means pointless, means meaningless. All of life is empty. Ecclesiastes, it's a great book. It's a fun read. So if you ever want to <laughs> kind of lean into that. But there is a, a part of it that really speaks to us, and it's in Ecclesiastes 4, and we often hear it at, at weddings, so we've started to think maybe it's just about marriage or just about husbands and wives, but that's, it's really not just about that. It's about friendship. So I want to read to you from Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 through 12. Hear these words of wisdom from a king from many years ago. He said, two people are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls, the other can help his friend up. But how tragic it is for one who is alone when he falls. There is no one to help him get up. Again, if two people lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one person keep warm? Though one person may be overpowered by another, two people can resist one opponent. A triple braided rope is not easily broken. Well, what's the point? The point is that we need relationships with other people. We need to be in community With others. We need friends. We need families. We need connection with other people. We all have different levels of need in that. Some of us would say, you know, I just need one or two good friends that I know I can trust. Others of us would say, I need 20 good friends. You know, I need people to be with on the weekends. And Solomon says, when you have a friend like this, you can share the work. You can get more accomplished as you're working together. He says, a friend can help you up. And I think he's talking about all the ways that we fall when we fall emotionally or mentally or even physically, that a friend can help us get back on our feet again. A friend brings warmth, he says. In Solomon's day, they didn't have electric blankets, so at night when you needed warmth, you, you needed body heat, you know, you needed someone next to you. But, but we all know that experience of when our relational worlds are kind of chilling out, they're kind of cold, we feel disconnected from people, we feel isolated. And he reminds us we need the warmth of others around us, sharing life together He says, a friend will help you stand strong against the battles in this life. He says, two can resist one, unless that one is like Dwayne Johnson or something like that, you know, coming at us. He says, two can resist one. And he's talking about battles in life. I think about all the battles that we face in our worlds, battles against, um, you know, job loss or the news that we receive about someone who's passed away or a disease that's come up or a financial hardship or things going on in our families, these battles that we find ourselves in. As a friend can help us. I think we know the importance of having good friends, of finding a, a great life partner, a, a spouse alongside us. A, a good, We know what it means to be, we want to be a good parent, a good kid. We want to be a good boyfriend, a good girlfriend. We want to do that, but it's hard to sometimes get there. We know it's important. We know we want to make good decisions about it, but actually living it out can be difficult because relationships are hard. You know, it's complicated, isn't it? That's why we have relational goals, relationship goals that we might move in the direction that we know we want to move in. We desire the kind of connection that the King writes about here, with our friends, with our family, and we struggle to get there. I watch my own kids go through all the ups and downs of friendships. You know, they've got a friend that's close to them, they get together and they hang out, and they're They talk about how good that friend is, and then suddenly they, you know, they leave them unopened on Snapchat, or they ghost them in some way, and and they feel like, well, what did I, did I do something wrong? I thought, I thought they were my friend, but now they're not even responding to me. I've had friendships that have gone through that, I know you have too, that you thought they were a good friend, and then you said something, or they said something, and something changed, and they're not getting back to you like they used to. Think about our marriages, my first marriage ended, and, and it caught me off guard, and I was left thinking, okay, what did I, did I do something wrong? Is there something I could have done differently? And then after a little while, getting back into dating. Any of you gone, you know, tried online dating? There's nothing as terrifying as online dating. You know, how many times can you get rejected in an hour? You know, it's like, let's see. You know, they pull out the phone. No, no, no. Not good enough. Maybe, you know, it's like, it's tough being in a relationship with other people. It might be a, a, a decision you're trying to make about a relationship. And there's nothing harder than seeing people make poor decisions about relationships, to see them take a relationship that's struggling and make a decision that's not going to help it. And we, we watch, we can see it happening from a little bit of a distance, you know, with those closest to us. Like, you're going to do what? Like, you, you sure you want to do that? I mean, I've never seen that work out really well for anybody else. Is that really what you want to do? There's sometimes nothing more hurtful, nothing more painful than watching someone make relationship decisions that are going to undermine their relationships, that are not going to help them watching that happen. There's, you know, there's enough pain in this world. We don't need to add in more pain. And as one of the leaders here at Hillcrest, there's certain things I want for you as part of this community. There's desires I have for you. There's ways I pray for you. There's pitfalls I want you to avoid in your relationships. And I know God can take any pitfall and turn it into something good, but there's things I just want you to miss out on in a positive way. There's things I want to be true about you as part of this community. There's a couple of things that come to mind this morning around this idea of relationships. First, I-, I want you to respect yourself and others. I want you to grow in your ability to respect yourself and respect others. Whenever we get into a relationship with someone else, uh, whenever we open our life to them and invite them to come into m- friendship, it's like it's a vulnerable place. We're taking a risk whenever we expose ourselves to someone and, you know, what's going on inside of us, what we're thinking about, the, the things that we're going through. And whenever you do that, it's easy to get hurt. It's easy to hurt someone else, and I want us to grow in our ability to honor one another and respect each other instead of hurting, hurting one another. When we treat people poorly, when we think little of them. When we only see them as a body that we might sleep with or a person that we might use to just increase our own social standing, when we treat them poorly, we hurt them, and we, and we actually hurt ourselves, too. It's a wise man that wrote these words down, God-fearing man named Paul. He said, love sincerely, hate evil, hold on to what is good, be devoted to each other like a loving family, excel in showing respect for each other. I want you to grow in respect for yourself and for those that you're in relationship with, honoring them. I want you to be sincere. We're going to talk about that over the next few weeks. That's the first thing I want for you. Second, I want you to be able to tell a good story with your life, the decisions you're making today. What you're doing morally, relationally, and in other ways, that's part of your story. It's going to be a chapter in the book of your life. And someday, believe it or not, someone might want to hear your story. They want to hear what's happened to you. They they want to share their story with you. And I don't want you looking back over your story and saying, well, I'm going to skip that chapter. You know, I'm not going to tell them about that part. I don't want you to be, um, you know, ashamed of different parts of your story, to have regrets. And I, I don't want you to be part of someone else's regret story, you know, when they bring you up you know which they do i used to be with that person and they tell that story i want it to be a good story you know it didn't work out but they were great i mean they were kind they were good they were you know they honored me and you know i want it to be a good story that you can tell honest and sincere and loving like what paul was writing about and what's good that it, if your story's not good right now you know what's amazing is that god is great at surprise endings god is as he's helping us write our lives he, he loves putting those little twists in there that we don't see coming And he takes something that we feel bad about and he actually brings something new to it. He brings life to it. He allows us to go back to the person we've heard and and ask for forgiveness and bring restoration. He's able to take our stories and, and make them something good, even if we don't see that happening yet. So I want you to grow in your respect for yourself and others. I want you to tell a good story. Last one, I want you to be consistent. I want you to be consistent. We should be treating people that are close to us The same way we're treating people that are just coming into the story, people that are just in the the sphere outside of us. Whenever we put people in different categories, like like, this person I would help, but this person I wouldn't help. Or this person I would protect, but I wouldn't protect that person. Whenever we put those categories, we're not being consistent with our relationships. We're, We're being inconsistent. There's another word we use sometimes. We're being hypocritical. We're being hypocrites when we do that. We're called to honor Every person that we interact with, to treat them as we'd want someone in our own family treated. Think about how you've treated people in your relationships. If you have a brother, or sister, or a niece, or maybe a single mom, or someone you care about, if, if they got treated the way you've treated other people by someone else in their life, would, would you get angry? I mean, would you want to defend them? Would you want to go do something about it? You know, we got to be consistent in how we treat people, how we care for people, They are dearly loved by God, made in his image. We need to grow in that ability. So this is what I want for you, that you would respect yourself and others, that you would tell a good story, that you would be consistent. I want you to grow in your ability to respect yourself. My kids used to have this little thing they would say about respecting their physical bodies when they were younger, and they would say it when they were like eight and nine and giggle about it, and then I would say it back to them when they were like 16, and it would be embarrassing um, because it was this little like fun little saying. So I'm going to teach it to you and see if you want to say it with me, but they would Start by putting out your finger, and you would go, stop, don't touch me there. This is my no-no square. <laughs> you guys want to try that with me? Just put your hand out. Stop, don't touch me there. This is my no-no square. And then they would giggle when they were eight. And then when I said it back to them when they were 16, they'd be like, dad, come on, please. It's embarrassing. And they'd walk away, you know. But it's, it's about respecting ourselves and knowing we have value. They expected to be respected, and I, I just want to remind us of that this morning. Do you respect yourself and others, as you, you know, tell a good story, as you, you're not going to hurt people, you're not going to hurt yourself, be more consistent in your life, that's what I want for you. And to start living this way, I just want to name a couple relational myths this morning. We want to start living into this. There's a couple myths that we need to identify this morning and just name. And funny thing about myths is they're in our culture around us, they inform our thinking, and a lot of times we make decisions based on these myths, but because we don't stop and think about them. If you were to stop and just evaluate these myths, you would say, "Well, that's just ridiculous. That's not true." But we don't stop. We just kind of keep on with life, and it just is part of our decision-making process. So I want to just name two of these this morning and see if we can get them out in the open. And the first relational myth I want to talk about is this right person myth. The right person myth. This myth says that if I find the right person, everything will be all right. The right person myth. If If I can find the right person, everything will be all right. All the things in my life that need to change, All the things that I'm not happy about, the bad habits, the strange thoughts that I have, all the internal battles, all that will fade away when I find the perfect man or I find the perfect woman. When they descend from the clouds, you know, my unicorn, and I find them, they will make everything right for me. And a lot of us, were in relationship already. We we found that right person, but then we get in this place, this myth keeps going on, and it says, well, at some point it gets difficult, and we start to think, well, maybe I found the wrong right person, you know? And there's another right person out there for me. I thought I had the right person, but this is not easy. This is not what I thought I signed up for. And I hear these other stories. I see these other people. Maybe they're the right person. And I'm with the wrong right person. i got to go find the next right person that's going to make everything work for me, that's going to make it right. We create this fantasy that someone else can change things for us. If only I'd stayed with that person, or if only I could find that person I'm waiting for. And it's a myth. It's just a myth. When we say it like that, it's like, of course that's a myth. That's not how things work. It might make a good movie. It might work on Netflix. You know, we love watching those stories of people falling in love. Hour and a half, we watch the show. We see it at the beginning. Oh, they're going to they're gonna fall in love. Watch this happen. And then at the end, they fall in love. And, we, and then the movie ends. And there's so much more to life than just that. I mean, we don't get to see the actual playing out of their life together. At least not in romance movies. Maybe those are more like the thriller movies or the horror movies or something. You, know, you see actual life getting played out, the, the push and pull between relationships. Because we, we're adults. We, we know it doesn't take much to fall in love. I mean, if you've got a pulse, you've got blood going through your body, you can fall in love. It's pretty easy to fall in love. The challenge is staying in love. The challenge is making it last, staying connected. And that gets us to the second myth. This is the promise myth. This myth says that we sometimes we believe that if I'm going to have a healthy, growing relationship with someone, all I have to do is make a commitment to them. All I have to do is promise, and it's going to be good. The promise myth says a promise replaces the need for preparation. A promise replaces the need for preparation. We we prepare for all sorts of things in our lives. For playing an instrument, we're part of a band. We're going to prepare. We're going to practice that instrument. We're going to get good at it. So when the concert's on, we're we're doing our best. We're doing our best at it. We're, if you're an athlete or you like playing sports, you're gonna practice your sport, you're gonna work on muscle memory so that when you're out on the field, it just comes like second nature. You're gonna be prepared. If you're working on a business presentation, you're gonna go over that presentation until it's like second nature to you. So when you get up, you're all prepared and ready to go. We do this in so many different areas of our lives, but we so often don't do it in our relationships. We don't prepare to be a good friend, to be a good spouse, be a good parent. We just think that should come naturally, but it doesn't come naturally. We need to prepare and practice. We overestimate the importance of making a commitment, and we underestimate the importance of preparing. And and many of us, we have friends that are, you know, getting married soon. Some of you probably have friends that are getting married soon. We see them preparing for this great day of celebration, a huge party. They're gonna have a great meal. There's gonna be colors and banners and all sorts of fun music, and they're wonderful. We love weddings, but we we see people buying into this idea that if I make some promises and I throw a great party, then my life is going to go great. I'm going to, we're going to give each other to one another. I'm going to trust my life to you. You're going to entrust your life to me. And everything is going to be awesome. But promises and parties are no replacement for preparation of getting yourself ready. And again, this, is, this can happen anytime. But that's the good news. You can always prepare If you're looking forward to a wedding someday, if you're working on a a friendship that you want to see getting better, you can prepare for that. You can get yourself ready for that. And if you're in a a marriage, if you're in a relationship with someone else, you can start today at preparing for it, getting better at it, allowing God to work in you and change you. That's the good news. And right here is where Jesus shows up and begins to speak to us and says, here's one of the ways I want to encourage you to prepare. Here's one of the ways I want to call you to lean into your relationship. So we're gonna to go to a story that Jesus told in, in the Gospel of John. If you've got a Bible with you, I wanna invite you to, to open up to John 15, the story where Jesus is talking. I just believe that if you could pursue life with Jesus, he's gonna help you grow in these areas. Following Jesus will help you become the kind of person that the person you're looking for is looking for, all right? Following Jesus is gonna help you become the person that you want to be, that others are looking for, and Nate Severson talked about this passage just a couple weeks ago, John 15, verse 1. Nate preached on April 10th. He talked about being connected to Jesus, having these defining moments with God. He did an awesome job. I want to encourage you just to go back, find it on the website, April 10th, if you missed it, and just listen to that teaching because it was so good. But we're going to go back to that same passage, John 15, verse 1, and see what Jesus has to say to us. He's sitting with his disciples around the table. He's near the end of his, his work on earth. It's sort of like one of those conversations, like, if you haven't heard me say anything else, I want you to hear this. If you forget everything else, remember this, and he's talking to them about that. John 15, verse 1, Jesus says, "'I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You, have already, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you.'" No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear much fruit unless you remain in me. Whenever Jesus spoke like this, like a parable, there's always, often there's a God part of the story, there's a Jesus part of the story, and then there's a you and me part of the story. So in this one, Jesus is the vine, God is the gardener, and you and I, we are the branches. And our job is to produce Good fruit to bring good things out of our lives. And, and God is the gardener is going around and he's looking for branches that aren't doing anything and he's cutting them off and he's looking for branches that are doing something and he's pruning them back so they can do even more. He's taking care of the garden and Jesus is there saying, "Not just stay connected to me. If you want to produce good things in your life, stay connected to me. He's saying if, if stuff, is, stuff is coming out of your life. I mean, you're producing fruit, whether you know it or not. There are things that are, that are coming out of you. Good things, bad things. Your life is bearing fruit. The fruit shows up every day. Every day in your life, things are coming out. Good things, bad things, stories you want to tell, stories you'd rather forget. The, the fruit of our lives, it's, it's our reputation. It's, it's what we're known for. It's when people think about you. What do they think about? When they see you What do they think about? How do they receive you? It's our reputation. Some of it's good, some of it's bad, some of it's healthy, some of it's not so healthy. You're producing something in your life. And Jesus says, produce good fruit. Bring good things into this world. And he says to do that, verse 4, he says, live in me and I will live in you. Stay connected to me, stay in me, stay with me, follow me. It's the only way to produce fruit that has lasting value, fruit that is eternal value. And he's talking to his friends as they're sitting around the table here, and they're all sipping a little bit of the wine from the vineyards around Jerusalem. They all know exactly what he's talking about. They get the vine and the branches and the fruit, and good fruit makes good wine, and bad fruit doesn't make good wine. They, they get what he's saying. And he says if, if a branch is not doing what it needs to do, it's going to get cut off, and it's not going to survive unless it's grafted back in, back into the vine, brought back into the place of life. Look at verse 5. He says it again, just in case we're missing it. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing, nothing. Without me, you can't produce the good that this world needs. You can't bring out of yourself the the character, the, the kind of relationships, the kind of light that God has called us to live in. You have to stay connected to the author of life, connected to the light of the world." You have to pursue life with Jesus, the one who died and rose again. Look at verse 6, 6 through 9. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Jesus says there's three things we're supposed to remain in, we're supposed to stay connected to. He says, live, he says, live in me, live in Jesus. He says, live in my words and live in my love. Stay connected to Jesus, stay connected to his words, and stay connected to his love. If we pursue Jesus in those ways, he's going to allow us to live in a different way that brings good fruit into our world will stay connected to the vine and bring good things out. Then verse 10 through 12 here as he wraps it up. If you keep my commands, you you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And it comes back to this idea of Commands, and I can imagine Jesus's friends sitting around the table, these Jewish men, and they're like, "Of course, we're talking about you know I thought it was going to be about relationship and closeness and intimacy with you, but we get back to the list of rules, right? The do's and don'ts, the commands that we're supposed to follow." They were well versed in commands. These these friends of Jesus, they had grown up in a Jewish community that had the the Talmud and had the um, the Torah. And the Torah is the first five books of the Old Testament, the laws of God. The Talmud is the the oral tradition of the rabbis, the application of the law. Between these two volumes, they had over 600 different rules and commandments. And the Jews in Jesus's day, the leaders, loved to argue about which are the most important rules, which are the most important commandments we're to follow. And Jesus says, I want you to follow my commandments, and then you'll remain in my love. It always seems like religion seems to always boil down to rules and do's and don'ts and lists. And the friends are sitting there listening, and they're like, okay, this is We know what this is all about. And they look at Bart. Say, Bart, grab the scroll. Let's get the pen out. Let's get ready to write down the list of commandments. See which ones are most important to Jesus. And which of the 610 is he going to pick out? And then Jesus says, here's my commandment. And right away they're like, oh, it's one, one thing. One commandment. Okay. What's your one commandment? And Jesus says, here's the rule. Love. Love. Love as I have loved you. I can imagine Bart Looking up from his scroll, oh, I don't have to write that down. You know, love. We've heard that before. We know what that's about. And Jesus says, well, not just normal love. I don't want you loving, you know, that kind of I'll tolerate you kind of love, the kind of love that you can do the best that you can. He goes, I want you to have a different kind of love, a focused love, a specific kind of love. I want you to love the way that I have loved you, the way that I love. This is about relationship with other people. If you want to be the kind of friend that you really want to be, if you want to be the kind of spouse, partner that you really want to be, Jesus says, I want you to learn how to love the way that I love. And his friends around the table, they would have some ideas of what that looks like. They had seen him interact with people, talk with people, provide for them. They'd watched him talk to the wrong kinds of people that they thought was a mistake and love people that he wasn't supposed to love. They watched him do that. But they really had no idea what he was talking about until the next day. When he gave his life on the cross and he said this is what love looks like it sacrifices everything for the other person we celebrated last week easter talked about the gift of life that jesus has given us and he says this is what love looks like if you want to love like me it means you lay your life down for those around you that right person myth that promise myth they're exposed as shallow and empty when you put them next to the display that jesus gave us of what love looks like. That right person isn't going to make you right. Jesus will. That empty promise, those empty promises, that hold, they hold nothing compared to the humble act of Jesus giving his life for us. And all this allows the power of God to transform our lives, to bring new things out of our hearts and minds that we might become the people that God has called us to become We carry around with us the righteousness of God, this right posture towards God and towards other people. And all this happens because we are deeply loved by our creator, and he helps us learn how to love others in that same way. And this is a process of change over time. We learn, we prepare, we grow in our ability to love. When you read the stories of God in the Bible when you reflect on how he loved others and say, I want to love like that, when you spend time with him, talking to him about what you're going through and talking about your relationships, when you step back from life and and turn all the noise off and take the the AirPods out and, and just listen for what God might want to say, if you sit in silence and you hear his small voice with such a powerful impression on us start to speak to our hearts, all these spiritual habits and practices that help us prepare to love others well. As we learn to do that, we can move past our hollow promises and actually love people the way that God calls us to love them. We can prepare and allow God to speak through us, to do things through us that we can't do on our own. His love brings purpose and power to us that, that we might be the friend that we want to be, that we might be the spouse we want to be. Our friendships strengthen, we can honor and respect other people that we don't agree with. We, when we're dating, we can treat people well. And when we get married, we can build our marriage on a foundation of trust and intimacy because the sacrificial love of Jesus gives us the example, and his love is in us, given to us, that it might come out and make a difference in this world. St. Augustine thought deeply about God's love and would write about it, and one of the things he wrote, he wrote these words, love and do as thou wilt. We don't use that word wilt very often anymore. I think of like a plant that didn't get water, right? Right. But what he's saying is that when you learn how to love as God loves us, as you learn how to love as Jesus loves us, if you will just love, then, then other things will come together. Then live. If, you, if you're committed to loving and learning how to love like Jesus, love that way and then just do life. Live as you will. And, and Jesus will be lifted up. People will be drawn to you. You'll have good relationships. Love will look like what love is supposed to look like when we follow the example Jesus gave us. Jesus would call us to stop trying to fix other people and focus on what he's doing in our lives. He would say, stop trying to find Mr. Right or Mrs. Right. Pursue me, follow me, experience life with me. Accept my teachings and learn from me, Jesus said, because I am gentle and humble in spirit and you will find rest for your lives. You will find rest in your relationships, in your friendships, that neighbor, that coworker. With your spouse, with your, your kids, with your parents, you'll find rest. And you learn how to love as Jesus loves. This is what can transform us into the people that we want to be, into the people worth finding. This can prepare us to live out the promises that we make. So let's take some time and, and talk to God about this. We're going to spend several weeks talking about loving like Jesus, and I'm excited to see where God takes us. But let's take some time and pray about that, and then we're going we're gonna to sing And um, we're going to do something a little differently this morning. As we're singing that final song, I'm going to invite you to come up for prayer during the song itself instead of waiting until after the song. So I'm going to talk about that in a moment. But let's, let's first just talk to God together. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this time together this morning. Jesus, thank you for helping us understand what love looks like. Thank you for loving us, for accepting us as we are, all of our imperfections, all of our brokenness, all of our hurts. And before we could even express our our thought that we'd want to know you or be connected to you, you loved us just as we are. We thank you that you can breathe into us a new kind of life, a new kind of love. We may have messed up time and time and time again, and yet you say, allow me to step in. I want to give you a new way. I can take that story that you might be ashamed of and I can bring it to life in a new way. I can take that relationship that is strained and I can speak new words. Lord, help us to hear from you in these days. We lift up our relationships to you. We lift up our, our husbands, our wives. We lift up our kids, our parents. We lift up our, our friends, our neighbors, people that we are in relationship with and we ask that you would help us love them well. Thank you for loving us. We trust you. We know that you are good and faithful. And thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you to stand with me right now, if you will. And I want to invite our our prayer volunteers to come up. And while we're singing this last song, if, if you're thinking about a relationship that's important to you and you'd like someone to pray with you about that, maybe there's something that you're just thankful, like you're here with your your friend, your partner, your wife, your husband, and you say, hey, let's just go up. I just want to have someone pray. We're so thankful for what God's doing in our lives. We just want to celebrate that with someone. Or maybe there's a challenge that you're facing relationally. I want to invite you to come up and and just ask for prayer. Let Let us pray with you this morning. You don't need to walk alone. We're in this together. So as we sing, feel free to come up and let us pray with you, and let's sing together.